so very excited about that. Um, this is part three of a series we're doing called The Playbook, and so what I thought I'd do this morning is I would start with a scary story. Okay, a scary story, right? There's three guys that are in the woods, and they had their kennel ready to go to the fire. Kennel was there, fire was starting, they were sitting around the campfire. They started to hear something. There's some creaking of leaves and limbs, some stepping on branches. They begin to encircle their camp and slowly, just methodically going around the herd and sound. Each one of them were damaged. What is that? I don't know. Bear, I don't know if it's some mass murderer. I don't know. And so they were they were just kind of jumpy about the whole thing because they didn't know what it was. Because they didn't live in Davie County, they had no weapons. <laughs> so they're sitting there, sitting there around the campfire wondering. Well, the fire began to get very low, and somebody had to go get some, some wood for the fire. And they had already stacked up 13 logs right over here, and, and it was kind of out of the reach of the fire because, you know, you wanted to do that for distance. And so they said, okay, so who's going to go get it? And so they played rock, paper, scissors to see who would go. And one of the guys lost. So they waited for the sound as it was circling to go around the camp. And when it was on this side, this guy went out and he grabbed three pieces of wood off that pile and came back and set it up around, around the campfire. And they, they kind of just stayed close together. But the circling continued, creeping of the leaves, breaking of the sticks, and it almost seemed like that other things had joined whatever it was that was circling the camp. So their, their tensions were up. Instead of going to sleep, they decided not to. They decided to stay up because that was the best, best thing to do. So the fire got low again, and <clears throat> they're like, well, we need the fire. And so rock, paper, scissors, and another guy lost, and he had to go get the, the wood. And so it started going around, and, and, and they heard it. And when it was on this side, that guy went, and he grabbed two pieces of wood off the pile, and he put it on the fire, and they, they got close together, and they're listening. They're talking. They're listening. They're being very aware, and, and the steps just kept methodically. They were just wondering what was going to happen. Well, the fire got low again. And they played rock, paper, scissors, and one guy lost, and he said, okay, I'm going to go. So the sound got louder. There was all kinds of stuff in their mind of what it could be. He could have lost his life. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he had to have the wood. So he got up from his seat. He ran over to the pile of wood. He grabbed one of it. He went over to the fire. He put it on the fire, and he sat down. Now, how many pieces of wood are left on the stack? Okay, if you're catching up, it's a math problem. <laughs> Seven, very good. Yeah, so there you go. I know some of you are looking at me like, what? What just happened? You know, type deal. Um, <clears throat> it is the same feeling I get when I've helped my, my people, my kids with common, what's called common core math. You know, there's common core math and then there's real, yeah, real math, the old way you do it. If you don't know what common core math is, I can illustrate it this way, okay? Let's say that you come to my house, okay? You knock on the door, you ring the doorbell. Old math would say, come right on in. And you'd come right on in and we'd start fellowshipping. Common core math, totally different. You ring my doorbell, I open the door, but I say, um, you can't come in this way. 
what you need to do is you need to go around my house, jump over my fence, fight with the dog, unlock the back door with some picks, come right through my mudroom into my kitchen to this point, and we can start to have our conversation. That is common core math. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally true. So there you go. There you go. Now you have a math problem that you can solve, which somebody's already given you the answer, maybe. In the first service, they, they told me, well, I didn't give them the amount of wood that was already on the fire. So if you, if you want to do that equation, you would say Y, which would be the amount of wood that was on the fire, right? And we've been trying to figure out what Y was ever since I was a kid. <laughs> so Y, and then in parentheses, it would be A, right? Or it'd be 13 minus A, right? 13 minus A? Yeah, so you would have Y plus parentheses. Yeah, that's right. 13 minus A equals, and you'd get, anyway, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin reading with verse 10 today. Verse 10 today. And this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Someone asked me in a Bible study on Wednesday night if the devil was omnipresent, if he was everywhere. Um, and I told him, no, he's not, because he's not. But what we need to understand about, de- uh, about the devil is, whereas he's not everywhere, he's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere, he does have an amazing army that he's in control of. And if you think for a moment that he's not in control of that army, you're sadly mistaken. He gives out commands, he, he gives them strategies, and they go out and do his bidding at all times. And he can keep track of all of it because he is that powerful. The problem he has is that we serve a God who is omnipresent and is much more powerful than he is. So he's defeated. And he was defeated at a cross, but long before then, he was still less than what God is. But the devil is very, very smart, and he does have an army, and he is fighting against us. That is true. So verse 12 describes that arena he's over. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That whole verse describes what the devil is over and what he uses as his bidding. So spiritual warfare is very, very real, and there is a playbook that they use. So this word right here is methodia. Say that to your neighbor, methodia. It's where we get the English word method, right? But in the Greek, it's not only plans, it's schemes, it's deceit. It has, it has, a, has a meaning of twistedness to it, where he will twist something to get someone or manipulate someone to get them to do what he wants them to do. 
And so in verse 11, when it says against the schemes of the devil, it means against the manipulations, against the way he likes to weave into our hearts and into our lives to make make us believe things that are true that aren't really true. And so he uses these methods to do so. And we need to be aware. And the way that we're aware is we put on the whole armor of God. Um, A couple of years ago, probably 10 to 15 years ago, before Seth was born, I'm just kidding. He's not even in here for that. Oh, yeah, yes. There you go. Yeah. David Crowder put out an album called A Collision. And at the very beginning of that album, it starts with a song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it's kind of a nice little tune. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Play it, boys. And then they they do the little little thing. It's, It's really a cool little song. But everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. You see, I'm, everybody in this room, I'm assuming, would like to go to heaven one day, right? We'd like to go to heaven. But there's also a certain percentage of the people in this room that don't want to die to get there. Or they're okay with dying as long as it's when they're 90 or 100 and they don't know anybody anymore, <laughs> Right? But, but right now, we'd rather not die. We'd rather be around. We'd rather see our grandkids. We'd rather see what our kids do. We'd rather see some stuff here. There's some stuff that we'd rather do than die to get to heaven. We want to go to heaven, but we don't want to die. We're committed to the vision of heaven and what that brings for us, but we're, not, we're kind of scared of dying too soon is, is, is what, we, what that means. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul kind of addresses that issue, and he says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I believe that you should live your life with Christ as your focus, with him investing in you and you doing what he says because for you to live is Christ and death is no longer scary. Death can't come too soon for you. It can't come too late. You're just okay with it all. Because when I die, it's gain for me. I do not lose. A lot of people think they're gonna lose. I'm not gonna see my daughter get married. I'm not gonna see my son get married. I'm not gonna see my grandkids. I'm not gonna see this. I'm not gonna see that. I'm not gonna see the other. I wanna see these things. And so they're afraid to die. They wanna go to heaven, but they're afraid to die. But Paul is saying, look, none of that really matters. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I might miss some stuff here, but what I'm going to will make me not miss that stuff. I will be absolutely okay and hope that the people that are left behind will follow that road to get to heaven. So for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. It is a vision. It is a a direction. It, It is a guide for your life might put it to you this way, and hopefully I'll be able to eat lunch today, but she'll, she's okay with it. So if you're new in the room, uh, my name is Philip Brand. I'm the pastor here, and two, uh, this is an illustration about my wife, and she'll be just fine with, with this, okay? My wife has a tendency to go on a diet, okay? And she's very serious about it, so I'm not, I'm not saying that she's not serious about it. So she'll start on a diet on Monday, And she'll keep that diet in her mind on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and she'll really strive to do it. But Saturday rolls around, and the hot now sign is on at Krispy Kreme. (laughs) Or she's, she's at the grocery store, and they just put out these chocolate chip cookies that she likes, or, or there's something on sale like Oreo cookies, double stuff, you know, because those melt in your mouth, right? Are you with me? And it's at that point that she's tempted 
to go against her diet. And there's a certain percentage that she just buys it because you only live once, right? And so you just go ahead and buy the donut, you eat the donut, and before too long, we're, we're back and eating the stuff that she said that she was going, wasn't going to eat here. And so the weight loss is now back up, you know, that sort of deal. I don't really, anyway, anyway, that's how it goes. I would, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would bet that there's other people in this room that's done the same thing. Except for in your case, you've decided to be on a diet and three hours later, It was good to eat the salad at lunch, but bad alive, somebody brought some brownies to work and it's time to eat the brownies. You know what I'm saying? It's just time to do that. So, so, you know, we do that. I have found in life that your diet and food has more to do with the mind than it does your body. If you set your mind to not eat something, when the temptation comes on the sixth day or the third hour or anywhere in between, you will not eat that food. You will skip over it. And you'll continue your diet because there's a goal, there's a weight that you're trying to get to. It's a mind thing. You have to set your mind on it to follow it. See, that's the same way it is for the Christian life. You see, we can make commitments on Sunday and six days later, Satan puts something in front of us that we have loved to do our entire life that is sin. And it tempts our heart. And so we grab a hold of it because life is too short and we do this thing. And the problem with that is not only does it lead to death, not only is it temporary, but it takes our eyes off the goal to live for Christ in our everyday life 24-7. So what we need to do instead of allowing our flesh and the Krispy Kreme donut and the fill of it in your mouth when it's hot and how it melts and then that... Nice 2% milk so you feel better about yourself as you drink it down. Instead of having that sort of system, we need to say, hey, you know what? I have participated in those pleasures before Christ in the past, and I'm not going to go back now because he's richer and better than anything I've ever experienced, and I'm going to keep my mind focused on him. And it's in that moment that we pray that God will renew our mind and keep our mind focused on him because to live is Christ, to die is gain, I am going to live for Christ and him only. So when the temptation comes, it's easier to push away because it takes us away from our goal, which is to live for Christ. I want to submit to you this morning that living for Christ is the best thing that you can do. You see, this isn't in the, in the text I'm in this morning, but it's not only the devil that's battling against you. It's the world also and your flesh. At every turn, the world is pumping you with something that is trying to distract you, that's trying to tempt you at every turn that you have. If you have not recognized it, you've already been tempted and you're already there living in that world. You don't recognize it. But if you're really trying to live for Christ, what you begin to realize is at every turn, the world is tempting you to get away from following Christ. It wants you to follow something else. And your flesh doesn't want to do it either. In fact, your flesh is mad at you because you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and there's a new resonant inside. To me, it's like if I was to go back and live with my in-laws, eventually somewhere down the line, the in-laws are going to want me gone. Come on. Y'all have never lived with your family, have you? 
been away? At some point, you want it gone. So your flesh, you've invited the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. There is a brand new life inside of you and your old self wants that thing out. It's different, it's pure, it wants it out. And so the flesh is attacking you, the world is attacking you, the devil is attacking you. And if you don't have your mind set on Christ, you are attacking yourself. If you don't have your mind set on Christ, you become your biggest enemy. If you do not have your mind set on Christ, you become the thing that takes over and causes you not to follow the path that you're supposed to follow. Don't battle yourself. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Ask him for his power to help you with your life and your direction. And then with him, with the full armor of God on, you battle the flesh, the world, and the devil. And you will win with that combination. Your eyes focused, his armor on, and you go to battle. It is in your mind, in your mind. Don't let your mind do anything else, do anything else. The devil is a schemer. He tries to get into your mind and tries to wield it in a certain way. He tries you to be against things and be for things that you shouldn't be against and you shouldn't be for. He makes you try to do things that you shouldn't do and you know you shouldn't do, but he makes it seem like it's the right thing to do. Don't let him get to your mind. Focus your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, a couple of years ago, um, <clears throat> I was on the internet. I don't know what I was looking for. I was looking for something. And I came across this picture right here, the pop-up book of phobias. So I took that picture and I put this caption at the top of it and I posted it to Facebook. It said this, I see no way this could ever go wrong. <laughs> oh, come on, that is funny. Pop-up book of phobia, pop-up, okay. So I began to look for that book because it was very intriguing. So I started to look for it on eBay and other places, right? See it, it was anywhere between 400, 300, $200. There was no way I was, I was gonna pay for that. I was gonna get that. So last year when I was preparing the sermon, I began to look for that book again because I knew I would get to this point in the sermon, right? And so I looked for it and at that time, I noticed that the price had gone down. It was now 100 to $125. That was the price for this book. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just wait. I'll just wait and see what happens. Well, two months ago, I found it for $22. <laughs> Look at that. The pop-up book of phobias. Now let, now, let me show you one. Not that one. Not that one. Okay, here we go. Are y'all ready? Are you ready for this? Is that not amazing? Absolutely amazing. This is the one that kind of creeps me out. I mean, let me find it. You can probably, if you know me, you know what this is going to be. Isn't that something, right? Yeah, so it goes through a lot of it, and it's really educational. It tells you what the phobia is, and you have a little demeanor about it. Here is the fear of heights. If you notice, it's a building. See that fear of heights? Isn't that great? Anybody scared of heights now? Boo? Boo? Okay. So here's, here's another one that may creep some people out. Yeah. And the cool thing about this is the eyes move. The eyes go, they move, they go up and down. 
See, my wife wouldn't let me buy a mask to go into Food Lion, a, a clown mask. I was going to buy a clown mask, go into Food Lion, and ask for a red balloon. But she, she, wouldn't, let me, she, wouldn't, do, she wouldn't let me do that. But anyway, that's, that's it. Pop-up book of phobias. Yeah. Now, in life, you will wake up on any given day, and something will pop up, and you will fear it. There is phobias that pop up in your life, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes on a weekly basis, but definitely in your life, from time to time, you will wake up or go through the day and all of a sudden this fear pops into your life. The fear of losing your job will pop up. Oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? I'm not gonna be able to provide for my family. How are we gonna get through this? And there's a fear of losing your job. There's other fears. For instance, in the office, if a mouse runs across Robin's workplace, she will get a little uptight about it. She doesn't like it, but the mice love her. So when we have an event like this, the mice will come in. We, we have people to take care of this, but mice will often come in and, and they won't stay back in the kitchen. They'll go in Robin's office and they'll camp out somewhere there because she attracts mice. Um, I've noticed that in her desk, there's a little flute. Okay, good. So there's a little flute, I think. Now, now to give her, you know, not to kind of make her look, look bad or anything, if a spider <laughs> comes out from underneath my bookshelf in my office, I am, I am the one going, ah! And then the very next thing is, okay, we need to call the exterminator. He needs to come in and spray this whole building. We need to get rid of this stuff. Because where there's one, there's two. Mark my words, right? And so there's phobias that come up, and some scary. If you watch the news... They are trying to scare you at some level. It, it is part of the attraction for you to watch that. It's, it's so that their ratings will go up. They will try to, whether it's a hurricane or whether it's some type of disease or whether it's some type of war or whether it's unrest in this particular country, they sell fear so that that fear will pop up and you'll go, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? The world is falling apart. I submit to you this morning that every time you are fearful is the moment that the devil and his forces has weaved that thought into your mind. It is not God. It's not God. Every time you are fearful about something, it is the devil at work. It's not your savior. It is not your savior. Now, a year ago, say that to your neighbor, a year ago, I wrote these words, okay, a year ago. The devil, that's the he, wants you to feel safe so you will not be brave. He wants you to run to safety so you can be a coward. That is why he uses fear. I'm amazed at how this fits into our current culture. I'm amazed at how this fits in to what we're going, going through right now. Now, let me be very clear to you. I personally do not care if you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. It is not on my agenda. If you wear one, I love you to death. If you don't wear one, I love you to death. It's no big deal to me. Either way, it's no big deal. What is a big deal to me is where you are putting your faith 
And are you living in faith with that mask on or if you're living with faith with that mask off? Either way, I don't care whichever one you do. What I care about is why you have it on. And that's a question that only you can answer. I do not answer that question for you. I don't. Do I go to Food Lion and I can recognize the people that are fearful in Food Lion? Absolutely. Can I also recognize the people that are okay with it? They're just doing it because they're there, they have to shop and have to get groceries? Absolutely. I just have a tendency to be able to read people. I know if you're scared. I know if you're not. I know if you're lit. I just, I just know this thing. But I'm not making that assumption. What I'm, well, I just did. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is what is concerning to me is not what you're wearing. It's why you're wearing it, why you're not wearing it. You see, you and I do not need to live in fear. We need to live in faith. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That means that I trust that God had an appointed time for me to be born and he had an appointed time for me to die and I'm not going to miss either one of those dates. And my story in between is the story that he wants me to have. I will have his story. I will follow him. And if he wants anything to be a part of my life during this time, it's for his honor and his glory. Because for me to live is to glorify Christ and to die is to be with him one day. So the devil doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to get all by yourself. He does not want Christians around unbelievers. He wants you to seclude yourself so that you won't be a light because his purpose is not to get people to follow him. His purpose is to make sure you do not follow Christ so that those people will not wind up in heaven. That is his purpose. You see, there's something bigger going on and more sure going on in the world than if you're going to get something or not get something, if you're going to be in a, a war or not in the world. The surety that is going on, the risk that is going on is that there is a 100% chance that you will go to hell if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there's a 100% chance that if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, that you will go to heaven and be with him. That is the risk. That's the risk. This is why I have not stopped. I can't stop. I cannot look back on the last seven months and see where I did no ministry at all to try to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell is that real to me. And I want these people in heaven it's that real. And if Satan can get you and I to be so scared that we detach ourselves from society, that we detach ourselves from being a light, he has won that particular victory, that particular scheme. He has got us exactly where he wants us and he can have these people who will never hear your testimony or see your witness. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do not let the schemes of the devil weave its way into your heart to where you're too scared to accomplish God's purpose for you. Come on. Check this out. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power 
and love and self-control. The thing that's interesting about fear is fear makes you hate people. Hate people that aren't like you. Fear does. You fear them because they're not living the way that you're living. You fear them because of maybe different reasons. And so you, you hate the people, these people over here, because they're not doing what you think they should do to protect themselves. So, so you hate those people. So fear breeds hatred. But notice what God gives you and I as Christians. He gives us power. Why do we need power? Because there are phobias that pop up during our day. There are things to be concerned about. There are things that we need to recognize is happening and we need to deal with. There's pop-ups for us and he gives us the power to confront those things in our lives. And love, he gives you love so that you are able to love other people, people that are the same as you, people that are different than you. He gives you love, that is what God gives you. He doesn't give you fear. He also gives you self-control. For instance, you, you self-control so that you're not shaking, that you're in control, that you're making the appropriate decisions according to your goal, which is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. So you have these decisions. So when the temptation comes on the sixth day, you're not worried about it. Your focus is there. You have self-control. I'm not going to do that. As good as it looks, I'm not gonna do that because my focus is on Christ. The next verse I want to show you says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You see, the roaring lion part is a scare tactic, right? It's a scare tactic. So he roars to let you know that's there and it's pop up in fear. It makes your heart beat when it, when it roars. The second thing about this is, man, following Christ is like a very narrow path in this world. It is easy, easy to get off track. It's very narrow. And to me, it's like walking in the woods. A couple of years ago, um, Quinn and Aurora and I decided to make a mountain bike path in the gully. We have a gully right beside our house. It's wooded and all that kind of stuff. So we decided to make our own personal mountain bike path. So what we did was we went out and we chopped things down, we dug things up and we made it smooth so that we could go around and we had a real good time except for the fact that there were a couple of routes that we hit that would cause our tires to go flat. And so I was fixing bikes and then we'd get back on the trail again and we'd ride around and there was certain turns and stuff and things that we were trying to do and we had a great time keeping that trail. If you were to go to that trail today, because we haven't used it, you would notice that some things have grown up in that trail. You'd be able to find part of the trail, but not the whole trail, because things have been allowed to grow up to prevent us from riding our mountain bikes through them. See, that's how it is when you're walking with Christ. It is a narrow road and there's stuff outside trying to get to you. There's weeds, there's briars, there's, there's limbs that fall in your path and they're trying to prevent you from following the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just have to keep focus. You have to get rid of the limbs, you have to cut back the foliage and you have to keep your eyes focused in that direction. Here it says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Lion. This means that he is circling your camp. You can hear his footsteps on the sticks, on the leaves, 
You can hear his breathing. You know he's out there. You know that he's scheming to get to you and he's circling. But he's not worried about a math problem. What he wants to do is get you off the path so that you can't shine for Jesus. He wants you to be so afraid that you don't sleep, that you fail to cast your anxiety upon him for Jesus cares for you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That is what he's trying to accomplish. He's circling you. So we need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful for his schemes because the devil never sleeps. He never stops. He never stops working. And you need to be vigilant all the time, all the time. So I'm just going to repeat this just because I just want you to know, I just want you to know this. I also wrote this next phrase a year ago when I was preparing this message. And it says this, precautions have a tendency to increase fear. You need to make sure that the precautions that you are taking are not born out of fear but out of a mind that's self-controlled and a mind that's focused on Christ, whatever those precautions may be. Because at the end of the day, to be honest with you, nothing can protect you but God's power. Nothing can. And if I die on the way home, which that saddens my heart, if that was to happen on Farmington Road, but it could, If I was to die on the way home, this is what I know. I would be in a much better place. And I wouldn't have to vote. (laughs) Wouldn't that be glorious, just not have to vote? I could turn on YouTube and not put up with the political. I mean, I wouldn't have to do any of that anymore. I would just be in heaven with Jesus in an amazing place. An amazing place. Precautions has a tendency to increase fear. We need to make sure that they are not doing that. All right. Verse 18 says this. Praying at all times in the spirit. I want you to know with all certainty, the devil does not want you to pray. He does not want you to pray. So here Paul is saying, Part of your defense, part of your battle in this dark arena where Satan is attacking is prayer. And he gives a whole section to that, praying at all times in the spirit. We are supposed to pray. You see, when you pray, you enter into the arena of God. Now, two weeks ago, I told you that you and I are a hybrid. We, we have a soul that connects us with eternity, and we have a physical nature that connects us with the time now. So we're a hybrid between the two. We're not an angel, but we're not a monkey. Some of us look like it, but we're not a monkey, okay? We are, we are a hybrid. We are God-breathed. We're made in his image. And so when we pray, we step into the spiritual arena where we're talking with God and we're spending time with our loving Heavenly Father, What occurs when we spend a lot of time in that arena is that his essence and who he is actually soaks in to our being. 
We talk to God and we become more like the Father the more we talk to him, the more we ask him things, the more we spend time in his presence. And then when we're done praying, we step out of that arena into this world, if I can put it that way, and we come into it with his influence. Are are you tracking with me? Because we have spent time with him. See, the more time you spend in the world and doing things of the world and sinning in the world or whatever you might be doing, the more that world influences you. But the more time that you spend praying in prayer with your heavenly father, the more you become like him. It is the way it works. And so prayer is an appropriate thing to say, pray at all times so that you can be more like your heavenly father and shine like the light of Christ when you step back into this moment right here. So you pray, you pray and you pray. Satan doesn't want you to pray. I guarantee you there's people in this room that have trouble praying. They have trouble finding time to pray. They have trouble, trouble, trouble taking that time. They have trouble saying what they need to say. They have trouble focusing on prayer. I guarantee you it's happening to people in this room when you try to pray. This is what I want you to know. That is the devil scheming to prevent you from praying. That's what he's doing. So I've had times in my life where I can go through a couple of days and I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't prayed in a while. And if I I know this about myself, I I can see it. If it's three days, I know it's probably six. You know what I'm saying? And I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't prayed in such a long time. I haven't spent that time in prayer in such a long time. And I've had these moments where I've looked back and I don't know if you know what my job is, <laughs> right? But, but I study the word and I pray for people and I care for people. That's basically the top three things that I do, okay? That's, that's my three focuses. So to not pray is not only personally bad, it's, it's bad for what God has called me to do. And I look back on this and I say, oh my goodness, I, I didn't do that. So what I've done is I've come up with some rituals in my life to make sure that prayer stays on the forefront of my mind and so that Satan can't get into my, my daily thing and my mind is focused on prayer. So this is what I do. On Sunday morning, I pray for 10 minutes, 39 seconds. 10 minutes, 39 seconds. 10 minutes, 39 seconds is the time that it takes for my oven to reach 375 so that I can put the cinnamon rolls into it. Okay? So I start that timer and I go downstairs and I pray. And the prayers on Sunday morning is for this service, for the 930 service, for children's worship, for the preschool department, for everything that's gonna happen here. I prayed for Jonathan this morning and his leading of the worship. I prayed that we would come together and that we would offer up praises to God. And I prayed that God would move in our service in some way move some people's hearts. And when they leave here, they would not soon forget that it was God that was talking to them and not me. That it was God they were worshiping and not our praise team. That it was God that was their focus when they left here. So I have that prayer time every every Sunday morning for 10 minutes, 39 seconds, every week. Every week I do that. During the week, I have devotions in the morning. And right before I get ready, and and get dressed to go to work, I spend time in prayer. Now that prayer time is for my family, it's for my wife, it's for my daughter, it's for my son, it's it's for church issues. And when I say church issues, it'd be like, is 
whoever's going through surgery, who, whoever is struggling in their marriage, whoever is, you, you list it, I have that list. Um, sometimes that section is a lot larger <laughs> than the other sections, but nonetheless, we go through and I pray for those things. And I do this every single day and I make sure that I do it every single day. And it's a ritual. It allows me to remind myself I need to enter into the presence of God and pray and talk to my father before I get started in my day. Now you might say, well, rituals is just religion. I would beg to differ. Daniel, in scripture, prayed three times every day. He prayed in the morning, he prayed at lunchtime, and he prayed in the afternoon. Now you can tried to make a case that Daniel, who wrote Daniel, was not a spiritual man, but I would beg to differ. He did that because he knew, like I know, like God knows, that you and I need to be told to pray, pray and we need set times to do it because, ladies and gentlemen, we can get so busy that we forget to. We can get so concerned with everything that's happening in this life that we forget to that the fears pop up during our day that we're so concerned about that we forget to pray. And so you make a time. Your time doesn't have to be like my time. It just needs to be whatever you deem necessary. But you take time to enter into the presence of your heavenly father who's waiting with open arms to hear what you have to say. Doesn't matter who you're voting for when I make this statement but you cannot walk into the president's office and get his time at any moment that you need him. But you can walk into the presence of God and his throne room at any time and ask whatever you want. That is an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought. So we pray. Check out verse 19. And also for me, he's saying, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I want you to notice two things about that. Number one, Paul did not pray to be released from prison. That's mind-blowing. That would have been one of my requests. Can you put this on the prayer sheet? I'm in prison right now. Can you pray that I would get out of prison? That would be what I would ask people to pray for. No, instead, Paul, whose focus is on Christ, living for him, right, is saying, I want you to pray for me so that I can get the gospel out to the people around me in this prison. So that no matter, no matter where I go, that I can be a faithful ambassador of the gospel so that people will know the life-changing message that Jesus Christ died for their sins and has made a way for them to be in heaven. That's what he asked for. And I think that is the prayer that we need to pray for each other. It's not that we don't ask for other little things, but the main goal, the main thing we ask for is that everybody that we know in this church and everybody that we know as a Christian would be effective in their witness for him to this lost and dying world. Amen? All right, so, if you don't take anything else from this sermon series, this is what I want you to take. 
The devil is real and you better be watching for him. And he's not prowling to get you for your benefit. Second, God is much stronger than he is. Fix your eyes on Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith. Live for him each day. And what you will find is death no longer holds sway over your heart. Death will be seen as a doorway into something better. And until he gets you to that point, you're going to do whatever he asks you to do. Because the world needs light more than they need darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for... Um, thank you for not giving us a spirit of fear. Thank you for letting us know that when we're scared, when we're troubled, that that is not you working in our heart. It's something else. Thank you that, thank you for giving us that scripture. Thank you for letting us know that you give us power and courage, strength. Not to ignore that there's troubles in this world, no, but to face them head on. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for the scripture that says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and took away all my fears. Thank you for the other scripture that says, you are the light of my salvation, whom shall I fear? Thank you for giving us a heart of love and concern and sight through the Holy Spirit to be able to see the schemes of the devil and not follow in that direction. Thank you. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll rest on the shoulders of every believer in this room, that you'll open their eyes to how the devil is working in their life and they'll be able to counteract that. I pray that by the Holy Spirit resting on the shoulders of everyone in this room, that you'll flame the flame of determination that they will keep their eyes focused on you and live for you with all their might, with all their heart and all their soul. Because I believe the people in this room really desire to do that. So we ask for your help. Thank you for the service. Thank you for this word. And we ask all these things we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we sing this closing song, you can come up and pray at the altar or pray where you are. If you want me to pray for you, just come forward. I'll be willing to do that. No problem at all. And if you want to join the church, you, of course, can present yourself.